You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, we are back from a venture to Orlando to PodFest Expo 2024 where we have learned so darn much about being podcasters and how to be the best versions of ourselves every week when we show up. And we have a lot, a lot of ideas that we are going to implement into Mike and Kristen, the podcast. What do you have to say about our venture to Orlando, Kristen Ray Harrington? I I was just going to let you carry on there with the intro. You covered a lot for for an intro sentence. Yeah, I like making big sentences sometimes. Yeah, that was very, very a good overview. There was their 10-year anniversary at PodFest, too. Yeah. So a lot of people were there that hadn't seen each other in a lot of years, but we were first-timers, met a lot of other newbies, there too. Were 2,000 people there. Yeah. yeah. It was hard to take everything in that we wanted to, but we divided and conquered. We did well. Yeah. Came. Yeah, so many, so many amazing conferences on AI and monetizing on every different aspect of of podcasting you can imagine the the monetizing one's a big one because everyone wants to figure out some way to you know make a little bit off your off your work. I felt like the sessions were particular to any aspect of business in a lot of cases, so that was really valuable too with us running different projects well, that we can. Really just inspiring, I found. Like, you you come out of with this kind of excitement and Mm -hmm. you want to implement these ideas. And we still haven't even had a chance to to go through all our notes and and see how we're going to tackle these things. But Yeah, we're kind of in blob mode the day after getting home. Yeah, we got back yesterday and it was a snowstorm here. And luckily, yeah, we were only delayed a little bit. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm quite surprised by that because... That that type of weather usually cancels flights. Isn't the world so wild that you can wake up in the morning and be looking at palm trees and in a tank top and just a three and a half hour plane ride later, we land into the Arctic of Nova Scotia. It's pretty fancy. We've come a long way. Pretty fancy. <laughs> you know, a hundred years ago, you couldn't do that. The po- the podcasts that were around a hundred years ago, they were nowhere as good as what we're doing now. Well... Speaking of coming a long way, today's guest, Jennifer Blair of Urban Fusions, has come a long way since the beginning of her business opening and the skills that she's developed in glass fusions. Uh, She primarily makes jewelry, but uh, she talks about her little blobs starting out of glass, and now she's has a thriving business right here in Hubbard's, Nova Scotia. It seems like she... Every everything that happened with her and her career and trajectory was like really just fate for like it was what was supposed to happen and she found these things in her life at the right time and made big decisions whether it was to move or 
go to this place or that place, but she found herself herself here with her family in Nova Scotia during the pandemic, and she's been making amazing work since and before that, obviously, as well. She's another example of following the breadcrumbs. Yeah. And just letting her life unfold. And she's really found ease in where she is in her business. I find most of us entrepreneurs are so guilty of feeling like we always have to be achieving this next thing. And she's working hard and just really grateful for being present where she has found herself and loves doing markets, really loves meeting new people. So that was an inspiring perspective for me to hear. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see someone who's who's an artist, a creative person, and their path is different than someone like your own, where you're an artist in your your particular way, but the 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 way in which you both found that, and the way you create, and the way you sell your product, and the way you market yourselves is mm-hmm. a completely different path, but both equally amazing. She got me thinking about the art of living. I feel like she's truly designed a lifestyle that she loves. And it's not separate necessarily from running a business. It's just sort of representative of who she is. Well, that's a nice way that uh, you can exist as a as a creative person, as a business, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, that's that's what I see in her yeah. anyway, so that's a nice thing to aspire to have a little bit more of, at least. Yeah, and we have some exciting news ourselves. We were nominated for an ECMA. Oh my gosh. We completely forgot they were even announcing the nominees because, at least for me, this wasn't something that I ever imagined that we would find ourselves on that list. Media. Me- media person off the air? Media person. Me- media persons. People? People. Yeah, in our case, more than one, but all of our other fellow nominees are singular. Yeah. And so deserving as well. It's uh, just such an honor. My goodness. I I really can't believe it. I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we'll just, we're going to show up in PEI and be around a bunch of talent that uh, we're fortunate. A lot of uh, our previous podcast guests have also been nominated for yeah. ECMAs this year, so... Just a really cool community to be in. Yeah, it's a, really an honor. And yeah, I've been there, obviously, for music tons of times. And it's an, always a, a great experience. And we will be there on the media side, which will be super, super cool and interesting. And I don't know, maybe we'll do some episodes while we're there. We'll we'll figure that out. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, gear up the portable mics. But yeah, this this year so I'm really excited for it. all all that we've taken away at this last week away and we have two other big things coming up in March where we go to Austin and LA and I'm I'm sure we're just gonna, our minds are going to be blowing up by the end of all this and in a good way. It feels like fast track evolution somehow. Yeah, yeah, this this is the way you get there. You just surround yourself with people who know more than you and you learn from them. That's <laughs> which was the case at every session. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I used when I was growing up playing playing basketball. I, that was what the best advice was, just play against people better than you. Makes total sense. And you, you improve. Yeah. So we we were in rooms with some some of the top podcasters in the world people who've been 
Doing it for years. People make millions of dollars. One guy made a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, you were in a session and they said, raise of hands, anyone who's made a million dollars off their podcast. And that but, would that would have just made me kind of chuckle. And what did you well, say? Like a bunch of hands. 20 hands yeah. go up. So Jesus. We're not there yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good for them, though. But there's there's much more to it than than that aspect. And not only was that acknowledged, but there were lots of sessions on things like hosting and connecting. And it was yeah. it was really there were a lot of mindfulness sessions as well, which is a key part of anyone's business and uh, definitely something I think today's guest Jennifer Blair practices as well. So let's, let's dive into that get chat. Into this chat with Jen Blair, Woo. Urban Fusions. Thanks, folks. Woo. Yeah, I, 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 online, somebody I figured like, you have to be a DJ if you're going to wear that. But that could inspire. Maybe that's what you need to be inspired to take up DJing or something. I'm just going to say, then you know? I'm going to start DJing. You never know the thing that will come into your life that'll be like, okay, this well, is this is where we're going now. Okay. It starts with the outfit. I remember when I was back home, someone's like, yeah, my my brother's getting really into drumming. And I go, oh, yeah, what's he doing? And then she said all the clothes he bought that uh, <laughs> drummers wear. And like, well, does he have a drum kit? No, not yet. But he's he's going to get that next. He's going to get some drumsticks next week. Yeah. Like <laughs> what did drummers wear? I'm curious I don't, I don't what know. he bought. She had, she, it was like an outfit. I can't remember which drum. Maybe it was like Dave Grohl's a shirt he wore or something. Mm. But it was, he is so into drumming. But it was just his clothes. <laughs> But something like running, maybe if you bought cool new Shorts. kicks, you might take up running. Yeah. I don't know. Did that has that ever happened to you with a new art form? Like somebody gifted you a camera because I know you do photography as well. Or was it always you started with the interest and then bought the gear? Oh, I don't know. I feel like it's it's always different. I've never actually started anything and then yeah, I don't know. I guess probably this stuff follows once yeah. the interest is there to start. I had a friend, I used to live in Ottawa, and I had a friend who moved to London, and she was a painter and left me all of her supplies. So I what? inherited cases and cases of brushes and tubes of paint and, and a bunch of stuff that, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't know what it was or never used, but that started my experimenting with art. Wow. So I guess I've never thought about this before, but kind of had a shared story where I just, yeah, inherited stuff right. with no intention of... Right. I'm going to be a painter. But did it make you feel so much pressure? Did it make you feel like, oh my gosh, now I have this stuff I have to use? Because no. I sometimes can feel like that. I felt, uh, because well, no. And because I also, I have stuff, uh, encaustic painting stuff. Do you yeah. know what I mean by like the wax? Like wax and like making really textured pieces? Yeah. I have all of that gear that someone oh. also gifted me and it has been in my cupboard for eight years. Do you have a painting party? Yeah. You know, just layers. I've seen people make trees and then you can do the foreground. I don't know, so many layers. Like, I find that really intriguing, but I've never played with it because I just know I can invest in something and then just go a little bit nuts with it. And all of a sudden I have the whole collection and I've never used it. <laughs> Even just, I don't know, two years ago, a friend had a, like an Instagram story and she was she's like a, a felter and stuff. And she's offloading all this screen printing stuff. And she was like, oh, I'm going to... I, I need to get rid of all this stuff. And 
So I'm like, oh, it's a great deal. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to do all this block printing. And so I've seen her like two years later. I'm like, so your hoarding has just become my hoarding. <laughs> and she was like, well, I'm glad that's in your hands and in your cupboard. I'm like, well, I should put an Instagram sale and just keep it going. <laughs> Someone will find use for it eventually. And maybe it will be you. Maybe the right time will hit you. And you're like, I need to do block printing. Yeah. Thought about that last week, actually, because I was like, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm taking the month off. Was that yeah, intentional? Yeah. Like, do, had you known maybe a couple of months ago that January would be a time that you'd take some rest or take a break? January is kind of always the time because I I always book my life pretty hard, you know, during holiday season, yeah. and I find it always just catches up to me, and and I, I make it as I go. So, like when I do a show, then I replenish throughout the week, and so I'm just so busy. So yeah, generally in January, like I just want to lay on the floor and drink tea and not even think about what the rest of the year looks like just a recharge yeah mm-hmm. but like a just I want to like float through my life does that help you feel ready to step back into it sometimes yeah. sometimes it makes me think do I still want to do this again this year <laughs> you yeah know? do I want to look at programs or you know I've, I I always do this but I mean I've been doing this for 17 years and it feels good every every time I jump back in I know like it's just like a familiar sweater that just has all these holes in it and you know the thumb holes and the comforts but also I yeah I just I love putting it back on so it takes it sometimes it takes longer and I mean we have home renos and I have kids and this month just I really wanted to tap into a lot of them and nothing's getting done I'm just hanging out and it feels really good yeah, like I don't. I rest don't always feels myself. good. Mm-hmm. And I, I shared with you earlier how recently a friend said to me because it's been multiple months since I have painted anything. That's not to say I'm not doing anything, mm-hmm. just not that thing. Mm-hmm. And a fellow artist friend was like, "I'm so happy for you. Mm-hmm. So happy that you're taking a break away." And but I I ask about if it feels because I it could be a slippery slope. I mm-hmm. think if you leave it for too long. Yeah, I can see that. But I mean, there's always people that come knocking, right? Yeah. I could leave it, but I mean, stores start to call and the applications for shows start to come up and the good ones, you know, you want to, you you have to be prepared to, you know, sign up for them in advance and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I do get really charged up and I am really looking forward to getting back into my studio. It's always a gong show, like, and I let it, I think I almost do it purposely. I turn it into a dumping ground near the end of the year. So that in January, like, it's actually not even accessible. And so I'm forced to like either deal with it or ignore it. And I, it's easy to just close the door and be like, oh, I'll clean that tomorrow. Now we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. So you said you've been doing this for 17 years. How mm-hmm. did you start? Oh boy. That's a... Started off with like a sad story, you know. I I broke up with a boyfriend, and we were living in the West Coast, and we moved to Toronto, and you know, we we broke up, and I got myself my first little apartment, and I really didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't want to be in Toronto. Like it's a big city when you're 22 years old and you're just a single girl, and I moved to this cute little neighborhood that I thought was hip, and then at nighttime I was like, well, this is scary. <laughs> so I I felt like I don't like trapped kind of Mm. um so I found this glass studio up the road and it was one of Canada's like largest retailers and sold all these glass things and like glass they do like glass workshops and stained glass and they had big studio and so I started off by buying scrap glass from this bin 
And it was like $6 a pound and it was going to the children's hospital. So I would buy these tiny little pieces of glass. And then I went home and I would cut them in my room, in my one little bedroom apartment. And I would stack and layer all these little pieces of glass. And then I'd take them in a cookie tray into my car and I'd drive to the studio and I would unload them into the kiln. And then I'd melt them down and like, and then I'd get all these like cool things that were melted down. And like the next day I would go pick them up. And so I'd come home and I'd be like, what am I going to do with these? I don't even know like what they are. It's just so fun and, and therapeutic to cut glass and it is giving me life, right? Like, and so eventually I just started doing like little, you know, markets at the local school and my aunt wanted some and my mom worked at Walmart at the time and she was selling to all of her coworkers like these little pendants and like within six months I made enough money to buy a kiln and like it just took off. I just like basically taught myself and the guy who owned the story like even made comments like like uh, so are you gonna ever like take a class or like support me in other ways you know you're always hanging out here and you're just like listening to people's conversations so I was like I'm getting free information like, you know and so I would talk a to true like, entrepreneur yeah I was just like why would I pay for this I'm just gonna loiter in your store and the funny story is like I, I met my husband like at the time he was my boyfriend and we got this apartment and it was we ended up moving right across the street from the studio so it was like I was there all the time and it was the best but I, about that time I had my own kilns and stuff but yeah like it was it just became such a part of my life and so it just I just never stopped doing it and it just happened to me and over the years like I've done a lot of other things I've you know painted murals and done paintings and I've sewn kids clothes and I've done lots of other things I've done photography for people but the glass is always it's like my obsession it's like I'm an addict like I just Mm. I love it so much those first creations you were making was that actually jewelry or was it just kind of melted they were just glass? blobs like really they were just these weird blobs that i was just <laughs> experimenting like what happens if i stack like six layers of glass and what if i put the glass like in this position and and it just yeah it's just and did you sell those blobs yeah or, like yeah. Oh, i still have some of them and they're so they're blobs horrendous for sale. What, no. what were you marketing them as well, i don't know just fused glass like yeah. i'm just i do fused glass now like you yeah. know and when people would ask me like you know what do you do and i was like oh i make fused glass like i think people thought i made these big platters with fish and like shiny and it didn't take long for my style to evolve because I was like, you know, this is really cool, these vibrant blobs, but like, I want to elevate glass. Like, I want to make them mine. I want to, I want to make people not, I want to blow people's minds when I actually show them what I do. It shows them that it's not what they think it is. Mm. You know what I mean? Totally. And so I've like, you know, over the years, I don't know if you like my landscape pendants and my hand painted trees and just my style in general, I feel that was really a big thing. I was like, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to work with glass, I need to make it mine and I need to make sure that it stands apart. So you, you're making these blobs. Yeah. <laughs> fused glass. <laughs> I just like saying blobs. No, it's awesome. I love it. And you eavesdrop on a bunch of conversations <laughs> where people are talking about making Techniques jewelry and, and you, you learn the tricks and trades yeah. by just hanging around people doing it. Yeah, and basically. you experiment yourself. That's just incredible. Being a creep, basically. Just <laughs> like an obnoxious creep. creep. Like yeah. that I was so, like at the time before I started doing it full time, like it was about a year I was nannying for this family, this woman. Um, she had three kids and yeah, I just, she kind of wrecked her life a little bit. And so I was helping her put it back together. And 
and I was doing that and I just was like I, I can't do this like I can't kids they can't take kids to school every day and like make lunches like this is not the life for me right now I'm 23 like I have no life and so I worked really hard at nighttime to just like you know hone my craft and market myself and at that time like like Facebook was just starting and there were really no farmers markets I remember doing this show in Toronto at the distillery district and it was in this big old like cannery and there was literally a sandwich board outside that said like artists inside and people were coming in and they were like what is this like what are you guys all doing in here and I was like I don't know but it's awesome right like and then people were buying my stuff and I sold so much that that particular day and I was just like oh my god I could do this like we can, I can make a life out of this. Like, oh, and I just, I just got so high off of it. And the best part for me was like, as the, you know, obviously I needed to make money to like pay my rent and stuff. But as I started doing more and more shows, I started to realize like the reason why I, this life is for me is because of the connections that I made with people. Because not just standing there saying, hey, look at me, buy my stuff. I want to go home and pay my bills and that's it for me. It was just like, hey, who are you and like, where are you from? And, and you know, a lot of the times people became like friends or I would end up doing other things for them. Like, you know, they'd be like, oh, you paint too. Like, oh, I have this, you know, this wall in my house and like, because they would like my style or my energy. And so like, I've I've always found really cool connections through just selling my art and being at places selling it i definitely want to talk more about the market model because i know this is an important part of your of your brand and your business i i first want to know were you attracted to glass because of how it looked or was it more about the fragile fragility of the medium or something about glass itself like what first attracted to you to this being like this is something i want to touch and work with and I love that I love that because I feel like even in this province there's not very many people who work with glass and I feel really lucky and for me it was it's like I'm not I'm not very good at science and chemistry but I mean there is there's a lot of technical aspect to glass like glass kind of does what it wants and so it's kind of a challenge to be like hey glass like I want to I want you to do it like I want you to do what I want you to I want to do how do I say this I want I want to be able to control the outcome but I also want to see like how you're going to push back and what you actually need to do or that does that make sense like yeah it just it, it so sometimes people come up to me and they're like hey can you make like a you know I want a purple unicorn with like my sister's dog's hair in it and like and all these things and I'm like well the hair will burn away like you know, how, how can I make these intricate designs? Like there's, but people don't understand, like there's so many technical things. Like if you fire something in a, in glass, like you could either burn away or cause tension, make breakage. So that stuff was all what really excited me. Mm -hmm. Like I just wanted to learn how it moved and like. And can you tell me like, how, how do you cut it? What, what does it mean to put it in a kiln? Yeah. Okay. No, that's a great question. Sorry. It just, it's, I, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, we all get used to our own work. No, a hundred percent. Right. And mm-hmm. I never, I don't always think about that part. Um, so yeah, I basically buy sheet glass and it comes in all different colors and it's like just pretty much the same brand. Right. So I, I cut the sheet glass in the raw form. So it's just like a wind, a piece of window glass, like that feeling. Okay. And then I, I cut it up in small pieces and I stack and layer the glass into like into shapes or or whatever and then once you put it into the kiln 
the the heat work from the kiln does all the melting. So essentially everything that I make is like considered warm glass, like fusing. So that means it's stacking, layering, and then like melting flat. So I don't manipulate the glass with any heat on my own. The kiln does all that. So it's all about firing schedule. So you, you know, you make the kiln go as hot as you want it to go up into a certain degree, like temperature range. And then there's annealing points where all the tension gets taken out of the glass and and then the cooling range. So there's all these these technical aspects. And I mean, I've done so I made so many errors over the years and like I'm surprised I haven't blown up my kiln I like I did electrocute myself once but you know just the, these like just just playing and so that's what that's I hope that answered your question I know it's it's a little bit more technical but yeah it's one of those things to see it I'm sure but so if you wanted to make a unicorn right would you have actually to did map before. out that design and then it would melt down into that shape or is it you're putting it in taking it out and adding layers each time to create that both it okay. just depends on what what the technique is I mean I did I did do a unicorn once and I used uh this like copper um copper foil but like it's it's really soft foil and so when the when the copper burns away it actually leaves blue bubbles and so I, yeah, I, I did this really intricate unicorn design and then I laid it inside the glass and I just crossed my fingers that all the outline like worked out and it really did. But I also, you know, there's things like inclusions where you can take things like, you know, fine metals and like I said, copper and some, some of my work I use like fine silver. And so you can use those to embed like images or just adding layers and colors so cool. Yeah. It's very similar to abstract art where mm-hmm. what you do, Kristen, where you obviously have control over what happens, but you're also letting the paints on your your uh, part, Kristen, do their own thing. And you, you're working with the power that they have together and their interactions. It sounds like it's similar with the glass. Like mm-hmm. Obviously, you have control over... A number of the variables but at the same time you're just reacting to what it does to to form the final product absolutely and you know there's this thing called pot melts where you can like elevate the glass in the kiln so you you can use like a wire mesh and so you hold the glass like the pieces of glass on top of the wire mesh and when you you heat up the kiln so much all the glass starts to melt but it pours through the metal and it starts swirling and it ends up in a big puddle on the kiln shelf and then you can use that like and make plates or pretty yeah like come over (laughs) i definitely had that thought mike as you were describing it that it's a very similar relationship with the type of art that i do in that yes i have some control over say palette or Mm -hmm. how much of this color i'm going to use but i i like that i don't have full control and so knowing that we have this in common with mm-hmm. our, our artistic preferences, do you think that that says something about us as people? Have you ever connected the dots into why we might enjoy this? Like, oh, I want a little bit of con- control, but I also like that some of it is up to our medium. Oh, yeah. Like, I love, I like, I love the freedom in knowing that, like, I don't have control and that. That gets me excited because when I open my kiln, I'm like, I did that, but I didn't really, but I did, but I didn't really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, and so I get, and then I can, can take parts of that and, and say, okay, like this is, I, I see how I could control this next time, but like, so I'll take a little part of that, but then I can keep experimenting with it. So it's never just like a one and done. It's always, there's always so many other ways you can take it, right? I found that 
a, tr- oh, a tricky part of teaching. <laughs> I don't know if you've if you've done any workshops, but oh, I get asked about that a lot. That's yeah, that's I bet you do. But it's a complicated thing to do with an art form that you don't have complete control over because mm-hmm. people will come in and want something really specific that's in their mind. And you have to really work with people to say, we can do our best, but you you need to accept that there's only so much that you're going to be able to really have at your hands at 100%. the end of this. Yeah. Because, and and I, I noticed like in a lot of like, because you know, back in the day when I was broke, I was like, maybe I should take some classes. But it was always like, oh, make this like sun catcher of a boat. And it was like, you know, a half circle with like a triangle. You can envision it, right? But, I, but I've come to realize like people teaching these classes, like, it can get really technical really fast. And if people start just piling glass up and then you go to tell them like, oh, actually, we can't melt that down. And they're like, why? And like, oh, because it's 10 layers and has this and that's going to cause like it gets too complicated for somebody just wanting to like express and enjoy. Right. So it kind of has to like be bite sized pieces, I guess. Mm. How how do you feel about that relationship to music, Mike? Like because you would have more control over these are the exact words I'm writing and this is the mm-hmm. exact instrument I'm using and tempo and there's there's some variables that kind of it's it's not the exact same but when you're recording there's often times where you just let something happen like you you're just experimenting on the fly and you might come up with something that is like oh I love that part like that that works perfect mm-hmm. so you weren't consciously thinking of I'm going to play this on the guitar or the piano or do this harmony or even sing this vocal melody and it kind of just comes out and it's a little bit different like this is still coming out of you but you're you're just letting that part of you your I guess it's your subconscious mind or those little influences that you've picked up that you're not really aware of you let them just kind of mm, control like the flow and even like live, like there's there's certain things where obviously it's going to be very similar each time, but you, you leave some things, like if it's a guitar solo or something, like I don't think I've ever played the same solo the exact same twice. Mm-hmm. Like there's always just, you're just in the moment and letting, letting the moment direct where it goes. Mm-hmm. We've used the, is it Phil Collins drums? Example before of like a happy accident. Yeah, oh, okay. in the air tonight. Yeah, yeah. the bubble, whatever yeah. that is. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feels yeah. like something. Yeah, that... they. Uh, well, that that's a studio, I guess. I'll say accident in air quotes, where they they left the what they call the talkback mic. So when you're in a studio, you're in a room tracking, and the. Uh, the engineer is in another room at the the board, and so when those musicians in the room are talking, they they used to have a mic on the wall called a talkback mic, so they could pick up what they were, what the musicians were hearing, and the engineer could talk in his mic, and they would hear it in his headphones. So on this take of In the Air Tonight, they accidentally left the talkback mics on to mm. record. <laughs> And they're like way back in the studio. And so they captured this big roomy sound that that became famous (laughs) in the song. And then after that, every single song that ever came out in the 80s had that sound in it. (laughs) But yeah, that was an accident. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, 
we were talking about the process and just things that you can control and these these accidents and you know when you're doing stuff live do you ever like do something and like you hear it or after the fact and you can't figure out how to do it again Ooh, good question uh yeah um <laughs> if if it's recorded in any capacity like if even if it's just a voice memo or something you can always just listen to it and duplicate it but if it's just in the moment and there's no no capturing of it it's more just a memory that you're relying on mm. and oftentimes it's your your memory isn't good enough to recall that whatever split second where you did something different right. and guitar or melody wise so it's it uh unless it's like this drastic change and you like it was like a light bulb moment but sometimes you might just be playing something and like afterwards like oh that was great but you don't really remember what what happened or what you did and i guess that's just the beauty of creating <laughs> yeah right? just that, to put it out there and just to let it let it go yeah that's it's it's hard to do at times you always mm -hmm. want to capture things in the 100%. best best way possible yeah. has that happened to you where you've made something that you love and recreating it was no, a challenge the, all the time yeah. like i'm not good at taking notes i'm not good at like taking any kind of like you know filming or like because it's so sacred when i'm when i'm creating i just i that's exactly what i want to be doing and it's it's hard to do anything else so i don't know about you like do you do do you take notes of ratios to paint like you know you, no i know right like and with my style most artists do, do yeah. i would say but if i research how to do fluid painting i do it so differently mm -hmm. from everything that i have found <laughs> on the internet i'm like why would i bother mm -hmm. it's i use way different ratios than most artists and it's all about when I was growing up and my mother was teaching me how to cook and bake, it was just her throwing shit in a bowl. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you'll just know when it's done. And as a kid, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what a teaspoon is. God. So, you know, I have a handfuls of salt. But I've really adopted that philosophy as an artist of I, I, I it's a hard thing to describe, but you just kind of know when know. your recipe is right. Mm -hmm. But I, I like that. I like that it's less technical because for me, it feels more freeing to be able to mix paint that way 100 percent. because the thing is the the creating of the recipe is what what that's my favorite part about it yeah. and then i'm like oh shit i forget the recipe <laughs> yeah <laughs> do i need the recipe i don't know i can just look back at it and be re-inspired by my own work like do you guys ever do that like you you know you make something or or you're looking for inspiration and like instead of looking outside to to anybody else or anything else like do you ever go back through your own work and like get re-inspired just by like a section of your painting or you know i think i think we have to at mm. times like like we need to get inspired by everything like mm. other music for me or other movies books all those things but you need to look back at what you've created even if it's to to learn from like to not do something <laughs> I think I think learning from what you did wrong, not wrong, but just what you did that you can improve on mm -hmm. is necessary. But then also looking at the things that worked and saying, yeah, I, I should try to continue doing that. Because if you don't look back at what, what actually works, you're just always completely experimenting. So I think locking into the, the good you're doing is definitely necessary in order to 
to develop a, a style and develop who you are as an artist because if you don't, yeah, if every song is just from scratch. Every painting is a completely new experiment and there's no continuity right. between things. I guess that's that's it. So right? I think yeah, you're you're always looking back at your 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 past creations and trying to Pulling trying to learn threads. from what you did wrong and roll with what worked and see where that takes you. It's like pulling threads, right? I guess just from all of our yeah, all of our creations, and just continuing to. We've got our own little catalogs oh, on the go. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so you're in Toronto. Yeah, you're living across from the glass store, mm-hmm. and you're making a living mm-hmm. from selling blobs that eventually turned into more formal jewelry. Yeah. Wow. Wild, hey? Like, and when I was a kid, like I remember like taking sheets out of a coloring book and like. Put taking thumbtacks and putting them in my shed and like telling all my neighbors to them having an art show and like uh-huh. I was always an artist and I you know I I know you've asked this question and just what is it to be an artist do you consider it and have you always and like I literally feel like that's my default way of living ever since I was a kid it was the way to cope when I was sad it was the way to share my excitement it was just all my expressions and I feel like. like even now I feel like we have just such a creative household and I'm always cooking or just like infusing creativity in everything we do. And my kids are, are a reflection of that. You know, they're, they're pretty cool because they're always being super creative. I mean, kids are naturally, but that's, that seems to be like their kind of default too, which is really beautiful. Did you know you would want to make a career out of it? I don't even know if I feel like this is a career. Yeah, okay. I feel like this is just my life. Like, Mm. I'm just, yeah. Like Like not separate? Well, no, I don't really feel like that. Mm. No, I feel like this is just, yeah, how I live my life. Is <laughs> It's funny, I came up with a friend the other night. Um, I, I'm collaborating with a couple of women, Aaron, mm. who mm. you've met mm. at Moonshine, and Steph McNamara, who will join us for the next Moonshine. We'll talk about Moonshine, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. We were saying how Steph's like, I almost feel guilty getting paid for this because mm. I love it so much. And Aaron was like, that's exactly how you should feel about your work. That's how I feel about my life, and yeah. It, yeah. Like Be- how, how? And it's almost like we've been bred to think that work is supposed to suck. Like we're supposed to dislike it for it to be considered I work. Mean, and it can. Like parts of it do suck. Sure. I mean, this is not, sure. I'm not going to here to glorify this. I mean, I got paperwork to do and yeah. emails to write, but... Yeah, I don't know. I never thought about it. Like, to be honest, I went to a school of performing arts um, in my last two years of high school. I went to four different high schools, so that was that was pretty tough. But then I find my I found my place in the end, um, and I didn't excel. Like I I did a lot of things, and I was really good at it. And I had this art teacher who just like was always hanging this carrot of like you know scholarship over my head if I didn't do this this and this the right way and. I don't know if anybody who knows me knows that I don't I don't like to be put in a in a corner like that. You know, I will rebel. I will show you that I can it'll do it on my own, you know. And so I, I never I never got the scholarship. And so, you know, I left home when I was seventeen and um I just went to the West Coast and I I did got all my sillies out and, you know, just being young and just trying to find my way. Um but when this 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 glass came into my life like it just made sense I was like oh well here's my thing like this is not my thing but you know what I mean this is this is something that I'm going to do and this feels awesome and it was really exciting and obviously more shows started popping up and farmers markets started ending up in every little community and there there was all these opportunities but I feel like you know when I started on Etsy I opened my Etsy shop in 2007 and I would post like five things 
and two would sell within a half an hour. I, there was like 10 glass artists on there at the time. And fast forward two years later, there was like, it just blew up and there was no space for anybody unless you wanted to pay all the premiums. So, you know, I, I stopped, I kind of stopped doing that and I really enjoyed doing more in-person shows and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I never really thought of it as a career. Mm. Why <laughs> is the social part of the market so important to you? Mm. Because I just, I always, growing up, I always, like everybody else, just wanted to feel safe and connected. And and I just, I love, for a long time, I never shared my story, um, my personal story. You know, I just, I had a harder time growing up a little bit. And I, I didn't, I didn't share that, but I just wanted, I, so I, I was always the person that was like asking everybody else about themselves, maybe to take the the spotlight off of myself but mm-hmm. um as i became an adult you know, i realized that it's important to share stories because that's how connections are made and so yeah i just i love the social aspect of it because i've met so many amazing people through doing these markets can i tell you guys one of my favorite stories sure my biggest inspiration and and this was when i was quite young a few years um, into my glass journey i was um selling quite often at the North Vancouver Hospital, they have these like, you could vendor table setups. And it was a great place because a lot of the nurses and stuff, they were at their shift work. They couldn't go out into the real world to go shopping for a birthday present for the sister for next week, you know. So people were really looking forward to coming to see me. And so I was doing really well there. And one day this man came up to me and, and um, he said to me that he had just come from Mexico and that he was at the hospital just getting his brain checked out because he got jumped by some guys in Mexico trying to steal his camera because he's an artist. And I, I was like, what is this guy talking about? He must live like he's, he must be like a patient or there's like a, you know, a nursing home next door. And mm. and he went on and on and he was like, oh, you know, he kept looking at my pieces and he was like inspecting them up close. And he was like, I'm an artist too. And I, I've made my own art. I, like, I can't remember. It was like a galactic expressionism or something. And he was telling me he made these huge paintings. And I was like, this guy's out to lunch. Right. And so, at the end of our conversation, he was like, it was so nice to meet you. I want you to come to my art show that I'm having like in two weeks or whatever. And I was like, okay. So he gave me his address on a piece of paper and he just told me the date and the time. Right. And so I go home and I tell my husband, like, yeah, I met this guy. He just had all these wacky stories and he got jumped and but he's having an art show. And so like we went and I pulled up to us. Oh, I, I was doing the a farmer's market. And it was on a Saturday morning and at the end of it, I was like, oh, like we're packing up our, my stuff. And I was like, we have to head over to this guy Jim's house. And my husband's like, well, I have to go with you because this is kind of a weird story. Like, and it might be sketchy. And we got into the car and we drove to, we drove to West Vancouver and we're going into these, these hills and the, all these massive houses. And there's this house and it has this, I get up Jim's house and there's this little sign on the yard that says like art for sale with the sign. So we go to the side of his house. And I knock on the door and somebody opens and there is, I should, you know how, like a huge opening happening. There's like 50 people in this house, walk in the door and there's like steps to go down, but it's all open concept. And Jim is wearing like a jacket and there's people walking around with hors d'oeuvres and there's like floor ceiling windows and he has these massive paintings all over his house and people are like into it. And he stops whoever, like he's having this conversation with these people and he stops them dead in his tracks and he goes, oh, here she is. Like, here's Jennifer. Like, <laughs> come in, Jennifer. And like, he's told all these people about me and my little blobs, you know, selling like at the, at the, um, at the market, at the, the hospital. And so he took me around and his wife was lovely. And like, I, I, he gave me a painting that night. It's, it's in my living room. Like I look at it all the time because that was 
like that was one of the biggest moments where I was like, wow, like, it, like you just never know who you're going to meet, like what mm. people's stories are. Like this man was like just this weirdo artist, like just living his damn life. And it's like, you know, yeah, that's it was like so exciting. It was the coolest thing. And my husband was just like, what is that? Because he's, you know, he's not really like into art so much, but he was just like, like what is happening where are we right now there was all these rooms and it was beautiful actually Jim and his wife ended up coming to my house and my little like our little apartment and making glass with us and like we Have became you kept friends in touch with them yeah yeah oh yeah they've invited us to like their cabin like that and that's what I mean like it just that's what the connect that's why I do them yeah. these markets and what the, that's what the social aspect is from just I don't know it's magic it can be magic you never know who who's out there and mm-hmm who needs to talk to you and who you need to talk to and who oh i've had so many people cry at my tables and share their stories you know yeah. but i think it's because i'm allowing it. i'm not just like okay can you move like i'm here to sell stuff like there's a lady there and she wants to look at me you know what i mean it's not like that it's just mm-hmm. you've really changed my outlook on 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 markets in particular because i had shared with you that it's not my favorite environment. I am very uncomfortable i've heard you say that a few times feeling s- selly or i think mm-hmm. i do mm-hmm. But looking at it the way that you do is a completely different experience like this. And and I've heard this advice with art in general. It's that people are attracted to you as 100%. the artist. And for you to show up at Jim's house without knowing what the hell Jim even created, <laughs> I think is even more of a testament to that philosophy being true. Yeah. Like you're drawn to this person and I kind of want to know more about them or be part of their world. And art is often an extension of who we are as people. Hundred percent. I mean, I've collaborated with people. I've done. I've had so many cool opportunities just by showing up and standing behind that table, just being open and just being like, "Hey, like, I'm Jen. Here I am. Like, yeah, I make this cool stuff. And if you're interested, like, I'll tell you more. And if you're not, like, you can continue walking around. Yeah, I mean, you know. And then there's always somebody that just comes up to your table, gives you these earrings, and is like, "Here, I just want to buy these. Okay, buy." And like, they don't even care. Like, they don't even know if I made them. Maybe, but right. <laughs> they just like so your that's art. the weird part. Like. Yeah. To me, that I'm just like, wait, 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 like, can we just, no? Okay. <laughs> you know? How how many markets do you typically do, like, mm. a, a season, or what, do you just go to the ones you, you feel connected to, or is that the biggest way you're you're making your living? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's like the bulk of, well, bulk of my living. Um, yeah. I don't know, sometimes you get these really cool invites to these cool parties that your like friends are throwing these like moonshine parties uh-huh. <laughs> you know like that kind of stuff but then there are you know the curated markets that like you know you have to apply to and I you know I don't always ever I don't ever expect to get in and so it's always it's always I'm always so thankful for that opportunity because th- th- those are you know those are the places where people who appreciate handmade things like come to find those things and you mm-hmm. know I've I've only been living in Nova Scotia just for years and most of like half of that was COVID right but um you know in that small time I'm like I have built like a following and so you know you do get the people with the re- repeat customers and so it's not just the shows they come back you know and find you after and other times throughout the year or whatever but yeah I, I don't know how many markets I do like I mean in the in in the Christmas season I was doing every single weekend for like eight or nine weeks straight yeah. so that's hard because some of them are like three markets in a weekend, like a Friday night, set up, tear down Saturday, set up, tear down Sunday. Like, it's exhausting. Yes. So that's why we're doing 
no work January. Yeah. <laughs> and w- what's the criteria to apply for some of the bigger markets? What are they looking for from you? Um, like, do you have like had most, to be in business for so many years? No, or? not okay. at all. I mean, I feel like a lot of times I, the people that I meet, like, well, there's a lot of people who started their businesses even during COVID, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's mostly originality because, I mean, there's so many people, there are so many markets and there are so many people making things and starting small businesses and making things like, I mean, if you don't, if you don't really try to find your own voice, like it's hard to get into every market or the curated ones at least because mm-hmm. there's you know there's so many so many people that can fill each category right so mm-hmm. how did you yeah. end up in nova scotia oh gosh <laughs> i had a dream <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the west coast was like always a place that i ran away to when i was young and um then it was good it served its purpose but it got really expensive and uh I did this really big show that I, I did year after year. It's called the Harmony Arts Festival in West Vancouver. And it was great. Like it's it's just a two weekends, really, really full. But I had to take the ferry to Vancouver. And on the ferry, I was like, I think we need to move to Nova Scotia because I can travel around the whole province. And at the time I was like firing sand from beaches into glass. And I was I was actually I actually for that show that I was doing I got my friend to send me some of the glass from the beach where the show was being hosted. And so I made a whole bunch of pieces. Mm -hmm. And so those two weekends, I was like, these pieces have sand from that beach right there. And people were loving it, right? Because it was like either sending a part to home to a friend or like people like it's their home. They want to wear it close to their heart or all these different like stories that would attach to this idea. And then I was like, we need to move to Nova Scotia because it's cheaper there and we can buy a house on a lake or whatever. But I also just thought like how fun it would be to just keep traveling. Like I would just keep driving around Nova Scotia every six months and collecting sand from all of the, all the shorelines. And then going to the stores that in those little towns and being like, I can make you custom glass. And I, I've never done it because COVID hit. We like moved here in April, on April 6th, 2020. No mm. way. Yeah, it was, it was. Were you born here though? No, we okay. had never even been here. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah, we had two small kids, a big dog. We sold our house, sold everything basically. And by the time we closed on our house, it was March 13th, 2020. When, the, when like, remember when the pro- it was that Friday. And all the provinces, like, people, you can go borders, like, and everybody was like, what are you guys going to do? Like, are you going to, st- you got to stay here until this, you know, works itself out? And we're like, we have two small kids and a dog. We have no house. Like, we're not, we're not staying. Like, this could, this could be months, you know? Had you already bought the place here? No. We had nowhere to live. We, we had a little Airbnb um, originally downtown, like, in the North End. But then once COVID got really hot, like... Um, we changed that to a little place in Lawrencetown, and so we we were literally like literally right on the beach for the first month of being here, and it was crazy. Like, do you remember? Like, there was no like cars on the highway, people weren't allowed in the yard. So I was like, how are we gonna find like where are we gonna live? Like, how do we? We were driving around, no kids are outside. Like, we drive and like everybody had different ideas of where we should move, go to Sackville, go to mm. Fall River. And we didn't, I was like, I've never even been here. We don't know anyone, but it wasn't, it was, That's it was wild. yeah, it was really crazy. Then we just got this temporary rental in Porter's Lake and it all worked out. We ended up finding the place just right there, like where we live now and in Hubley. And 
We got so lucky, but yeah, that was. And now you're an East Coaster. I know, and it's crazy because my kids, like, they just love it here so much. And my son's starting to put S's on the ends of all the words, like everywheres, and, and it's the <laughs> cutest thing. And I'm like, oh my god, they're a little true integration. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> and we're and we're loving it. You know, it's 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 been a wild change, but. I think the cool thing about being an artist and, and having the internet and COVID, like everybody was so online. And so I got really lucky because like, I didn't have to show up anywhere and I met so many beautiful people. So by the time things started opening up, I was already kind of part of this artist community. Like people were like, I don't know you, but we totally know you and come do this market with us and mm. we want to hang out with you and share stories and be friends and mm. yeah. It's, I'm so glad that was your experience. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a, a confession. When I first was introduced to your work, and I think through your Instagram page. Whoa. No, but I, <laughs> I felt like your jewelry was so pristine. Mm. I had the wrong idea of who I thought you were going to be as a person when we met. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And, oh, I want to know more about that. Well, I, I was expecting, Christine. I was just expecting you to be, I, I don't know, a certain way. More like polished? More, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose you could more just or maybe like less shiny. corporate, I guess. Maybe like, less shiny. Yeah. But I, I, the first time we met, we mm. just, we gave each other a huge hug. You had this. I felt like I almost cried uh, when I hugged you. Yeah. You just had this Sorry, amazing weird. energy about you. So like so loving, so kind. And we were all working together on the Moonshine Imaginarian, this arts festival we had at uh, the Shore Club last year, which we'll do again this year is the mm. plan. But it was just a, <laughs> it was such a good reminder to me, much like your story about the artist you met in Vancouver, mm -hmm. of not judging a book by its cover. Although I was, I guess, admittedly judging your art by the cover and That's expecting okay. you as a human to be be something else. Mm. I don't know why. Well, I want to pick your brain because about it's that not after. like I <laughs> see your work now and, and now knowing you a little bit better, think that they there's they don't match or that mm. there's not a relationship there. Interesting. But it's just uh, all that to say you're just uh, just the most kind, bubbly, supportive oh. <laughs> woman, and totally belong here on the East Coast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. And you know, and people always ask me like, oh, you know, my, even friends from like that I keep in touch with and they're just like are you happy on the east coast like do you miss it so beautiful here and I was like I miss nothing I thought I would be so sad and I thought I'd miss all the, the natural beauty but oh my god the people here make up for it a million fold like I never felt I was in Vancouver for 10 years and I have like a handful of good friends but the community is so different like and maybe I was in a different place in my life too and but like <laughs> the east coast it's it's a real thing it's unreal like that idea of you traveling around, getting the glass mm. from different beaches, and then selling that in those communities will go over amazing. I know you should probably edit that out because no, like yeah. if I don't do it, someone don't, else is no, steal no, her idea. Yeah, you, <laughs> we oh. have a recording. This is Jennifer Blair's you, concept. You that will. I love you. I'm telling you that will go over like crazy. Here. Yeah, it's just it's just it just was the timing, right? Like because I just assumed that that would be my first kind of project that I would do when I got here, but. Mm. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. We weren't able yeah. to like leave our. You're doing bubbles. memorial art, though. Yeah, and and I've, is that like a similar process as if you were using the sand as well, you would? Yeah, I mean, using cremains, it's you can't be throwing them around the way. Yeah, sprinkling sand everywhere. 
Yeah. That's an honor, though, to be asked to do that work. Oh, it's the highest honor. And I think sometimes I I, I can't take on too many of them because it's it's, it's a lot, you know, and it's very sacred. Like when people hire me to, you know, fire the cremains of their pets or their loved ones, like I don't take that lightly. And, um, you know, I have to clean my whole studio, like clean my whole section and and be very, very mindful. And and it's hard. You know, I feel like um, a good friend of mine, he asked me to do a piece of his wife and he was um, with his wife, sorry. And he was going on this big trip to Scotland <laughs> and he wanted to take her because that was the, the plan at some point that they were going to go back and, and they never made it. Right. And uh, I, I literally like he gave them to me four months in advance and I delivered it like two days. And it's not because I'm the worst procrastinator. It was it was because it's so it's. It's so sentimental and it's, and it's a, it's a big, it's a big honor, but you want to, you want to do it right. And you want to, I don't know, but I, you know, and, and then when I, when I did give them the pieces to him, he, you know, he was like, this is the most beautiful thing I could ever ask for. And I'm, I just feel so honored, but I feel like the mental, the mental weight of that, I can't take on too many of them. Mm -hmm. I've done a couple of custom pieces not not exactly the same, of course, but yeah. just in memory or recognition right. of people. And it's it's a very different mental state and challenge to to know that that's the end result. Mm-hmm. It's something I've really noticed about myself. And now I'm doing an online program where there's a lot of concern for how it will be received and just really wanting to honor your audience. And I don't know if that's something both of you struggle with, but obviously your audience matters. And then if you're, especially with custom work, but I've became more hyper aware of how important that is, especially with custom work that Mm -hmm. they have to love it. Like you want that kind of wow moment, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't always happen, I guess. I don't know, but that's, I think that's why it's hard for me to do custom work. I don't like doing any other custom works. Like I used to do a lot of them, but with the glass, like, I feel like then I'd have to make multiples and then, mm. you know, just because if one didn't fire properly or one fired sideways, you know what I mean? Like if the glass didn't do what I wanted it to do. Um, and so I've had to say no to more than that. And I feel like a lot better about that because there's so much pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, I want to ask both of you a question that's been on my mind mm. the last few days as well. Okay. About... <laughs> Passing on knowledge, I'll say. Mm -hmm. So we are all self-taught artists, Mm -hmm. and not only have we had to learn our craft, but we've had to learn the business side of things. And I've I've had a few people over the last little while come to me looking for what I'll call advice. Mm Mm-hmm but sort of fast-tracking the experiences that I had to go through myself to arrive at a certain understanding. (laughs) And I'm very much divided on, of course, I want to be supportive of other artists and pass along any kind of wisdom and help other people out like that, of course. Of course, yes. But there's also something to be said for going through all of those challenges yourself because I feel like your learning will actually be more impactful and powerful. But there's also this weirdness of knowing how much blood, sweat and tears I've had to endure myself. And it's not about like holding my cards close to my heart so much as it's like, I feel like that has been a valuable experience for me personally. So I just, 
I hope all of that makes sense. No, and absolutely. Would love to hear your feelings on how much of your wisdom do you feel you should be just passing on at liberty or for free or is it really something that you think that other people need to go through themselves? I'll let you take Well, I think anyone who chooses to be an artist in any discipline, no matter how much information you give them, it's not going to be a completely easy road. Like there's going to be a lot of challenges regardless of what you pass on because it is a hard way to, to make a living so if you have some tidbit of information or knowledge that can can help someone and you're worried that they're not going to go through the learning phase of, of getting to this point, like they're going to go through some type of learning phase. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you can teach them something that speeds up the process so they don't, don't have to take the time to to learn something that took you a long time to learn, but that may allow them to bring that another step further where, where they're going to have to go through their own learning p- process and phase and make it their own and w- w- whatever it could be. Like, obviously there's different, like you can teach someone to write a grant or to play a certain chord or whatever. There's different examples here, mm-hmm. but I think, I don't think it could ever hurt anyone's career to, to give them good good advice or but how do you like if someone came to you and said i want to learn to play the guitar you know how to play the guitar do you feel the responsibility to say sure come over and i'll give you guitar lessons because i know how to do this until you feel like you know how to play the guitar (laughs) right like yeah we have this information but what's the threshold for passing this on and i know obviously it depends on the example if somebody says how do you start a Facebook group? Like that takes two seconds, right. but just, it's more of a philosophical question. Yeah. Cause no, go ahead. No, anyone who asks me anything, I'll tell them what I know or okay. what, what they, what, what I can offer. Like it doesn't, like I'm not going to be able to show someone to play guitar in a week. It would take five years or whatever it may but be. But would you do that? <laughs> if, if I had the time, like most of the time, you just don't have time. Like I can't volunteer to teach some stranger to play guitar for five years when I'm trying to make right. a living myself. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But it's, what do you think, Jen? Well, I'm just thinking of the example I get asked a lot, you know, because I'm very open. I'm not a gatekeeper. I don't have like, you know, all the answers I've come to like learn but you can you can google them too and i mean you can always tell that to people you know like google yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like uh, um, one of the questions i get asked a lot is like you know where do you source out all your findings and stuff and so you know it, it takes a long time to find the right sources and the best quality and the best pricing and i, I that's taking me hours and hours of work so sometimes it's more of about just like well here's a starting place but also remember like the things that i'm using might not necessarily be the ones that you need. So it's, I think it, I always try to remind that person that what's working for me or how my process or, and I mean, I do things pretty backwards and maybe would confuse some. So I always try to remind people that like, it's really important to try to f- not do it on your own, only on your own, but like try your best, you know, to carve that path for yourself because you might find things that 
along the way that suit you better than what I could show you. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I remember asking an artist once, I wanted to make custom printed socks. And this was yes. something that she offered in her business and asking her, like, where did you get those socks printed? And she said, I will send you my uh, manufacturer's contact information for $100. Mm. And at the time, this was years ago, yeah. I found that really unusual and cold. Mm. And then I started looking for my own sock manufacturer. Mm. And hours later, time. was like, I totally get why she wanted to charge me the $100. I mean, that's But pretty... it's something I'm divided on. Mm. So I, I was just curious to ask both of you if you had a hard answer to this or if it's something you have been faced with or grapple with as well. I do definitely gra grapple with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, when it comes to like techniques and stuff, but I mean, I, again, I, I, like I said, I don't know so many glass people. Like it's not such a thing that everyone does, but I mean, when it comes to like, you know, how do you do markets and what market, like I do give people time and I suggest markets to them, but it, again, it turns, it's like a lot of time it's, you know, you need to ask yourself, like, what kind of markets do you want to do? Cause the ones that I do maybe won't work for your product or for you, do you know? Like, yeah. So it's hard and it's hard to keep boundaries, but I mean, I have spent 17 years like, you mm -hmm. know, perfecting and not, not perfecting. Oh my God, far from that, like experimenting and playing. And, and I think, I think it's in, it's the best thing to do is encourage people to just find their own way. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you can't teach every single stranger how to play guitar. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. when we used to play as a duo, we had a, my guitar sound was a this really big sound, and after every show, there'd be at least one person come up to me like, "How do you do that?" Mm. And I would explain in exact detail how I do that, and like, if you want to put in the <laughs> thousands of hours to mm. to get to the point where that's how you can play and use this information to create that sound and all the, all the parts that come into play, like, go ahead and take this in whatever direction makes sense for you. And I've never heard anyone else do it, even mm -hmm. though someone asked me, like a, maybe a thousand different people asked me about how I did it. And it's just, you, again, there's so, so much about the individual is what makes a sound. I'm sure people have probably tried it and their sound's not going to be the same as mine. And if I ask someone else, like, how do you get that sound? Like, and I tried, it's not going to be the same as them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We all put our unique spin on things. Yeah. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer to no. this question. And it's there's also a, a time and a place, you know, yeah. like, like if I'm at a show and someone's like, hey, like, how do I do this? And I'm like, this is not the right time to start asking me questions. But here's my card. Like, yeah, if there's something that you have on your mind and you think I could help you, like, email me. You know, mm -hmm. so it's setting those boundaries. And then it's like, well, that person, if they're really serious, they will message me or if they're just, you, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You have <laughs> seven people in line. Yeah, you can't 100%. give a tutorial. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and some, yeah. And so you just, I guess, also the level of interest or excitement from somebody maybe dictates how much I want to share with them. Mm -hmm. You know. Of all the markets that you've done over the years, why was the Moonshine Imaginarium your favorite? Oh. No, I'm <laughs> no, no. I was like, I was like, so ready to answer that. Oh God, it was highly like one of my favorites. Oh my God, remember when we were sitting on the floor and just like rocking back and forth and singing with Mike, and it was just so beautiful. I was like, oh my God, I could live every day like this. Like, this is just the best, and I, I can see it being, like, 
the thing that everybody will be talking about this summer, right? That was the flavor right? of market that I thought, oh, okay, I could do this. Mm. And all of the vendors were so wonderful. Like we all just got along so well and we're in this beautiful space. And But that was year one. So we got only the sky is the limit for us. And oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to seasons. see. It's going to be good. Are we going to bring in some new people too? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Expand. Yeah, there's that whole outdoor space that we have to yeah. work with that, mm. you know, you, you got to get a feel for things before you're you're too huge. Oh, I, I think have... that's the intention. Do you have some recommendations? Oh, I have like a list of people in my DMs. So just go back into, yeah, people are just like, where were you? And like, how do I do this? And it looks like you're having so much fun. I'm like, guys, like, don't you know, like I have this much fun everywhere I go. Yeah. But this was exceptional. There's something <laughs> to be said for exclusivity. And and I maybe this is something like, for example, if you you're in select number of stores around mm -hmm. the province, is your goal to be in as many stores as possible? Oh, or, God, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're prioritizing sort of the quality over quantity. Yeah. But I mean, I don't have proper line sheets. I, I you know, I do. Like I said, I do everything kind of a little bit backwards and upside down, but it works for me and I make it work for me. Like, I don't I don't do any bending backwards for other people or you know i'm not into making 20 of this and 20 of that and yeah so yeah the people that i work with like they're all relationships like that's what i'm saying like this that my business like is i don't like i do run a business but i don't always see it like that i don't see it as a business i just see it as like a way to flo float through my life and the connections that i want to make and so this year my intention was just more collaborations and more you know, for a while I was like, oh, I can only do wholesale. Like that's only what works for me because I just want to get straight up, straight up. And and I don't want to have to like chase checks. And But th those were my experiences before I, I, I knew how to like set boundaries and stuff. And the last year has showed me like I do have other relationships that aren't like traditional, you know, 50-50 or whatever. And there's perks of working together. And, and I really love it. It's come to like actually be really really worth it for me mm -hmm. you know just like I sell at this yoga studio and we've we've got this really good connection going on and it's selling really well but also because they're just so excited about it so it's like you know and then I I get to practice there and so I'm just trying to manifest more of that kind of thing more instead of just like oh go to my website and find the like 50 places you can find my work with all these people that I've never met or I don't even talk to because they just buy wholesale from me from a third party and that's fine like some people just love that they love to just get the email get the order pump it out like that's their business but this is my life it's a good reminder when thinking about things like income and abundance mm. because it doesn't have to come in the form of dollars and cents oh no and i mean i i live a very humble life like i've never made tons and tons of money but i've i've done okay only because i've just i've always been confident that the right connections will be made and they always do and it always works out so far it's been yeah. 17 years i mean yeah, yeah. i'm doing something right You're doing you know? a lot of things right but i always make set jokes because like you know people like when i meet other vendors and we're doing a show and they're like oh like how long have you been doing this for you look like you're like really good at it and you're, you're and i'm like oh 17 years and they're like wow and i'm like either doing it really well or like doing it so wrong like why am i still doing this after 17 years like shouldn't yeah, i be you, famous or something you <laughs> but you love <laughs> like, the shouldn't, I, shouldn't like jlo be wearing my stuff or <laughs> like be famous I, after this oh no. yeah, yeah this is this is my big break babies come on guys but you, i wish we could you love that. doing them you I love the that. social aspect <laughs> do you, you love 
being in front of people and meeting new people and hearing their stories. Like, I feel like even if JLo was wearing gear stuff, you would still be doing the markets like that. Yeah, I feel like that would horrify me, actually. Like, I... I know it's some people like I've and I've listened to your podcast and I've lo- listened to all these you know artists talk about all the goals and like leveling up and always chasing the next thing and I just I've never felt that I know and I and I feel so like I don't know I, I put a lot of judgment on myself because of that I'm like why don't why don't I want more like why don't I push myself more but I like I was saying to you Kristen earlier like I kind of been living my life backwards like I've 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 started this business like being able like the whole point of doing this for a living is so that I could slow my role and so that I could not be overwhelmed and take too much on and I get to decide like where the lines get drawn and I never take more if anything like when I need more I find it but I try not to pile it on my shoulders because then it just becomes like stress and when I'm going to bed at night I can't just like fall asleep without thinking of all the people that I might disappoint because I'm just falling behind like I, I hate that feeling and and, and this is really funny because I, like, I don't know, like last year I, <laughs> I went to the grocery store and my daughter was like, hey mom, like, how was your show? And I was like, oh, I wasn't at the, sh- I wasn't doing a show. And then she goes, oh, well, how was the spa? <laughs> was like, it's the other place I you was hang like, out. I went to the grocery store, but I was like, this is beautiful. Like I'm teaching my kid, like, you know, like. She didn't naturally just think I was running errands for the family and doing like everyday menial stuff. Yeah. But like she sees that I, I love what I do, but I also like take time and, and I go out for like lots of lunches and spend time with friends, bouncing ideas off of each other and just, you know, just being and just relaxing and going to the spa. And it's something I admired about you from the first time we met because we had sort of this conversation about you talking about this is the environment that I want to live in. You have found being in markets, I mean, Mm. and you have found a way to prioritize other aspects of your life to find this work life balance. I think as entrepreneurs in particular, we do feel this pressure expectation that we're always supposed to want to climb higher and higher and higher. And you're just left feeling unsatisfied all the time. No, it's never good enough. But I see it all around me. Yeah, I just see people like just on to the next thing and never really sitting in the happiness of like what is happening right now. Yeah. And I don't know, I just, I guess I've always lived my life like that, but I feel like as a young child, all I wanted was just like to be safe and to be healthy and to be surrounded by people who love me. And and so like I have that and I don't feel like maybe I'm going to go home and start making lists of like how dream, dreams to chase and maybe having bigger, loftier goals. But like, really, I don't feel. But it sounds like you've you've achieved that. That's it. So let's just hang out where it's cozy. That's what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah. It's really cozy in here. Yeah. That's that's a beautiful way to live life. Like I think that's the way most people should be trying to live their life. It's hard to not get caught up in trying to get the next thing or 100%. figure out how to sell at a bigger place or get JLo to wear earrings. <laughs> like like all those things are just kind of natural human tendencies to to want to to want to keep pushing things and we often never let the the current moment really sink in and appreciate what we have and what we're doing and what we have done and accomplished so mm, you the way you're you're living is is perfect well, i think in 17 years i've just i've spent so much time by myself i think it's my number one favorite thing to do like 
I, I love being in my studio and I love silence. I often drive without music. Like mm-hmm. I love just always leveling up on my own. Like I only compete with myself and I just push myself to like really be clear, clear on what's important. And it is always those very simple things. It's never big lofty things. Mm-hmm. It's just, just, am I happy? Are the people around, around me, like, are they good? You know? It's a huge lesson and it's something that, yeah, we don't need to be JLo or have JLo wear <laughs> our items to, to embody and see that as such a success in life. Wow. Yeah. So where should we send folks to find your products, to find your beautiful, so you have earrings, you have pendants, are there other items that you're selling or yeah, promoting? I mean, I, I've, I, I'm hoping to do some painting this year and I, I do... I would really love to start teaching. I get a lot of people asking. I mean, m- m- the majority of people who, you know, come hang out and support me are like, you know, middle-aged women who just, who really think it's fascinating, who like me, maybe want to hang out. And they, they always like, can I come hang out with you? Like, can I come mm-hmm. to your studio? Can I, you know, but I don't have a space yet. So that's kind of a, hopefully. So maybe keep an eye on my Instagram. So maybe I'll in- announce I found some magical hidden door somewhere that leads to a beautiful studio to create in for other people. I don't what know. is what is your Instagram? Where can we It's at Urban Fusions. Just one word. I have a Facebook page. I guess they're kind of all linked, right? Yeah. Um I have a website, urbanfusions.ca. And your can... website shows the stores where your products are sold? Yep. There's yeah. a there's a cute little list of them. Good. It's not a it's not a scroll for ten minutes list, but I like it that way. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well we'll put all the links to that in the show notes and mm-hmm. uh Thanks for sharing your your process and well, your your outlook. Your life outlook is the biggest takeaway in this thank conversation. You. Thank you. You know, I was saying like, it was like, oh, I don't feel like I'm really that interesting. I don't have much to say, but like, I I know myself better. I always have something to say. Of course, mm. everyone has a yeah. story. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being here, buddy, and all the best of luck and everything ahead. And excited for the Moonshine Imaginarium 2024. Year two. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. There you have it. Introduction time. Introduction. So what's happening in the next little week for you? Next little week. The next little week before uh, next episode. Big Shiny Jones. I'm performing this weekend at the Marquee Ballroom, doing a couple songs there. Yes, this is such a fun show. It is, yeah. All 90s stuff, eh? Yeah. 90s and early 2000s, I guess. Yeah. And how many, do you know how many bands or like different acts it's there all, are? It's different singers. Different yeah. singers, um, yeah. I don't know, but probably. A lot. Probably. 15 dozen mm-hmm. 15 I guess yeah that's what I was thinking it's uh yeah great great songs from that era and just a really really fun time and that's Friday and Saturday yeah mm-hmm. nice any other announcements that you want to make in in life or in um, work no just excited to get in dive into all that we we've taken away from being away at the odd fest all that information and yeah get get into it yeah, I feel the same. We've got our ideas lists mapped out. And we just have to start from the priorities and work our way down. Otherwise, yeah. it'll be overwhelming. But just a shout out to everyone who's been supporting us in attending this conference. And as you mentioned in the introduction, we've got two more to come in March. 
and mm. we're just gonna keep trying to bring guests like like Jen and all the folks that we've had in the past and share Amazing their stories. Amazing folks, all right here in our studio. Yeah, 100% in person. We learned that this was a very unique thing yeah. for our show, that all of our guests have either been in Hot Jupiter Sounds or we've traveled to them on the yeah. rare occasion, but that's something to be proud of that we hope to keep rolling with. Yeah, in-studio sessions are are the face-to-face encounter where you really get to, to know someone. Mm. Well, more to come. We can't wait. Okay, buds. Thanks for tuning in. Talk soon. <laughs>